right, good morning. Good to see all you guys. How you doing? How you guys doing? Well, as Tate said, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, it's kind of been uh, some dynamics going through this series because uh, we went through the um, holiday season. So we took some breaks for Thanksgiving and Christmas messages. And uh, we actually started this series in late October, believe it or not. And uh, we're now in chapter six. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to be speeding this up over the next handful of weeks together. Uh, we'll be able to be more consistent uh, now here in the new year. Uh, but Nehemiah chapter six, we're looking at a message entitled Dealing with Distractions. Now, I want to encourage you guys who take notes, uh, and if you don't take notes, encourage you to take notes. But typically, you know, we have a PowerPoint, and you know, if you have been under my teaching in any uh, sort of uh, way, then you'll know that I, I oftentimes have different points, and we go based on those points. I share verse reference, and those things are good to write down. Uh, but what I would encourage you specifically for today and even onward, uh, when you guys are taking notes, it's not for grading, right? They're, they're, you're not in school. Uh, it's not uh, even like you get more brownie points in heaven uh, because your, your notes were so uh, well laid out. Guys, it's all designed for your learning and your spiritual growth. And so even today, I'd encourage you write down things that stand out to you. This is how I believe the Holy Spirit is really able to, to speak to us through the word. That as we kind of go through the study today, there might just be something that just kind of catches your attention. Uh, and I believe uh, that there's something that we can't see that goes on in a time where we approach God's word. Uh, in a setting like this where uh, we're here on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is the Lord's day, according to scripture. Uh, that, that it is a time that the early church would gather together and no doubt they would worship. Uh, they would have a time in the word. And what I believe happens when God's Bible is opened and taught and preached is that as you guys are sitting there taking notes, that what is happening is that the Holy Spirit is moving in the midst that you can't see. That, that the Holy Spirit's coming up to you individually and, and, and speaking to you and, and knocking on the door of your heart and, and, and taking God's word and giving it direct application to what you're going through in your life. Now, what's amazing is that now for, for a room like this, we're you know, you guys are all seventh and eighth graders. Uh, I think it's even more credible in a room like the main sanctuary where you have 18-year-olds, but you also have 80-year-olds, and the same word can be preached to people in such different seasons of life, yet is the Holy Spirit who can give the direct application. And so for us, we all live different lives. We have different families, we have different homes, we have different things that we're doing and a part of different struggles, different things that uh, give us joy. Yet today, God will take the same word, his word, and use it in your life if you would have ears to hear. And so as you're taking notes, if there's something that just stands out, 
if there's something that, man, maybe feels convicting, uh, that's the Holy Spirit. That might be something you want to note down so that it gets not just into your mind, but into your heart. Make sense? Now, as I was praying for this study this morning, I was considering maybe uh, doing a, a New Year's, you know, uh, kind of message um, and was kind of praying through that, but really wanted to get back into Nehemiah as we've been going through it. And as I opened to Nehemiah chapter 6 and began reading and re- refreshing and studying, man, it just became so apparent that what God has for us in this new year, I believe he wants to speak to us through this passage uh, that we happen to be in today, which is Nehemiah chapter 6. And uh, if you can recall, the, the, the whole title of this series is God's Work, God's Way, and we've been going through it. Uh, the first five chapters. And uh, because it's been kind of spread out a little more than normal, you know, normally Sunday after Sunday, uh, we're hitting the, this, the same message following up one after another. Uh, but because of the holiday season got spread out. And so I just want to kind of recap. Would that be okay with you guys? So that as we go into chapter six, we're all on the same page. Would that be cool? So I'll recap a little bit. I'll pray. And then we'll get into Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you guys have your Bibles open, you should have them open to Nehemiah 6. Just turn over just to Nehemiah chapter 1. And I just want to walk you through this, not take too much time. But remember, Nehemiah opens with the man, Nehemiah. He's the author of this book. And it opens with Nehemiah as the king's cupbearer there in Persia. And if you can remember, he gets alerted. Uh, he gets told that, there, uh, that, that in Jerusalem, that it's a place that is laid waste, that the gates are burned, the people are discouraged. And this kind of hits Nehemiah differently. He had never been to Jerusalem, but he had heard about the stories of God's glory and God's temple. Jerusalem in the Old Testament was that place of God's central presence, and it was a place that God had chosen. And yet it was a place that was now laid bare and desolate and ruined. And so Nehemiah began to pray. And there in Nehemiah chapter one, we have his prayer recorded. And he would go on for four months praying that God would use him to be able to restore Jerusalem to its former glory for God's glory. And then in Nehemiah chapter two, the opportunity opens for him. If you can remember, uh, the king uh, had asked Nehemiah, what do you request? And Nehemiah told him, I want to go and be able to rebuild and restore uh, the city of my ancestors and my fathers and restore God's glory. And we see that God opened the door through the king. And he was able to not only leave Persia and go to Jerusalem, but have all the resources and the king's backing required. And then in Nehemiah chapter 3, hopefully you're turning, maybe you're turning a page or two. Nehemiah chapter 3, we have that long list of names showing us that Nehemiah didn't rebuild the wall himself, but rather that Nehemiah uh, did this together uh, with the people of God. And then in Nehemiah chapter 4, they continue building the wall. Yet, of course, they have some uh, pushback. That's the, where the enemy is introduced and they begin to try to discourage and plot and do anything for Nehemiah to stop building the wall. And yet we see that all of their attempts 
uh, came to nothing because Nehemiah was a man of prayer, a man of leadership, and of course, a man of God. And then uh, our last time together was in Nehemiah chapter 5, where the attacks no longer came outwardly, but there was inward division, and we talked all about the fear of God and how the people uh, began not fearing God and how Nehemiah had to restore those things, which now brings us to Nehemiah chapter 6, where what we're going to see today is actually the wall uh, will be completed by the end of the chapter, uh, and God will be doing some awesome things. Now, with all that in mind, uh, one of the questions that can come up is, well, how does this apply to me, right? Why in the junior high ministry, why on a Sunday morning are we going through a book like Nehemiah? Why, does, why do I even care about him building and restoring the walls of Jerusalem? Well, what I want to put in front of you is that in the New Testament, we are told that the Old Testament has been written for our learning. So the stories of the Old Testament that we know, maybe some of the more famous ones, maybe like David and Goliath and Noah's Ark, all of those are not just cute stories for us to have fond memories of, but they are in there for our spiritual growth now as Christians, which tell us, that as we've been going through Nehemiah, it's not about just Nehemiah who built a wall. It's about us and what God has to do in our life, in and through us. And that's why the title of our series is God's Work, God's Way. Because I want to tell you today that God's not done working. If we have a breath in our lungs, uh, then God's not done working with us. And even when in this life that we lose the breath in our lungs, God's still not done. He is going to continue to work from Nehemiah's day even to this day. Now the question is, are you in 2022 going to be a part of what God wants to do? You have the choice. The Bible describes for us that God has prepared good works for you and I to walk in uh, beforehand. Meaning God has prepared 2022 for all of us. But the question is, are we going to make our own path or go down the path that God has provided? And so as we get into it, I want to just remind you that the wall building uh, that we read about in Nehemiah, that was God's work then. God's work now, he's still about a kingdom uh, but not just an earthly kingdom, but his heavenly kingdom. And God invites us as his followers to be a part of his work, to put brick upon brick. And how do we do that? Well, we walk in the good works that he has before us. We obey his commandments. We, we tell people about Jesus. We be the light and the salt of the earth that Jesus was when he was here. And we continue and what Jesus has done. We fulfill the great commission. And I really believe that every prayer that we pray, every scripture that we read, every command that we obey, every person we pray for, every 
every person we tell about Jesus, every person that we just be the example of Christ, that when we do those things, we are building the kingdom of God, brick by brick. Now, you don't have to be a part of it, but God invites us to be a part of it. And so let's get into Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for this time that we're going to have in your word. And uh, as we kind of go to this next chapter, we just pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to, to work in our lives that this 2,500-year-old story of what took place in Jerusalem, Lord, that you would bring us the application now to 2022. Lord, that we might live for you, that we might be used by you, that our life would not just be uh, for nothing, Lord, but it would be for you. And so, Lord, we look to you now and pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. So dealing with distractions. Uh, we're going to kind of read through this today. There's not going to be points like we normally have. We're just going to read and talk about it a little bit and work our way through the text. But listen, we all deal with distractions, right? Uh, I know for myself, sometimes I feel like the most distracted person ever, where you go to seek to do almost anything, and uh, then your attention just feels like, you know, super small. And and if that happens with physical things, right, things just in life, whether it's homework, whether it's even something we want to do, but then get distracted by something else, how much more does that happen in our spiritual walk with the Lord? And what we're going to see today is the enemy comes back to Jerusalem, to the wall, and sends message to Nehemiah and seeks to distract him. And so let's read there in verse 1. The Bible says this, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, that at that time I had not hung the, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. And so we here find the, the first four verses of chapter six and we see that the enemy is, is back and sends a message to Nehemiah. Now notice, the Bible says there in verse 1, the wall's just about done. Uh, look there in verse 1, someone tell me uh, what was the last thing that needed to be put on the walls before it was completed? Yeah. Yeah, it was the gates. So there was variety, there was of different gates around the wall to be able to enter the city. And so uh, the wall was built. And there was really, it was, it was, the finish line was right there. And the news spread about how quickly uh, the Jews had gotten the walls up to the surrounding uh, people, which Sanballat, Tobiah, who has been the consistent enemy in this story, uh, they get news of it. And so they have one last play in their pocket. Do you guys know what a, a Hail Mary is? 
Anyone, any football fans? So for those of you that don't, I'll take a moment to explain. A Hail Mary is typically one of the last plays of the game. Uh, it's the idea of the, of the, it's the, it's the, type of play that the, the losing team is down, they have the ball, time is running out, uh, but they are still far from their end zone, and so the quarterback uh, steps back as, 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 as away from the line as he can, the wide receivers go running down the field, and he throws it as far as he can, just praying someone to catch the ball for them to be able to tie or to win the game. Now, most of the time, because it's such a long throw, it's a Hail Mary. Most of the time, they don't uh, catch the ball, and the game's usually over, and the other team wins. Now, sometimes uh, it works out. Now, for the enemy, for Sanballat and Tobiah against Nehemiah, they, they don't have much left. Time is running out, right? They only got the doors to put on there. And so what they go to their playbook. They've already used discouragement, uh, didn't work. They've tried to uh, use a variety of different tactics and plots and plans. And so they had one last play left. And that was the play of distraction. And in a similar way, I believe this is one of those devices, tactics that the enemy loves to use in the life of a Christian. If he can just get us distracted. Maybe not even entrenched in deep sin, but just distracted away from the goal, distracted away from living a life that would influence anyone else for eternity. And we see that for Nehemiah, his work, the work of God was to build the wall. And what does he get? He gets a message. Look there in verse two from Sanballat and this guy named Geshem. He says, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Doesn't that sound like such a nice invitation? Come, let us, let us get together. Maybe it was, it was something along the lines of, uh, let's, you know, we, we've, been, we've been kind of against each other, but let's, let's talk it out. Why don't you stop the work at the wall, come down to the plain of Ono, and we'll, we'll just talk it out. We'll have some coffee, and uh, we'll, we'll deal with this. Now, the plain of Ono was a location about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. It would have been a place of middle ground, uh, not the place where uh, they were from and not the place where Nehemiah was from. Uh, and, and so they invite him. Uh, it doesn't seem like anything too harmful, but notice that Nehemiah has some discernment. Look there at the end of verse 2. He says, but they thought to do me harm. What I want you to note down that in this attempted distraction, Nehemiah had discernment. You see, Nehemiah was there for one purpose, and that was to build the wall. Now, did he know all the details of, of what this uh, conference was going to be, this, this get-together? No, but he knew that if he said yes to going to the plains of Ono, that he would be saying no to what God had asked him to do. Do you guys catch it? Now, in our own lives, there will be invitations, opportunities to do things that maybe on the appearance have no, no harm, no, no big deal. Yet, 
if you say yes to those things, is it saying no to the things that God would have for you? Now you can note down the plain of Ono uh, was a location that the elevation was 125 feet. I'll tell you in a moment why this is significant. So it was 125 feet above sea level. That's the idea of elevation. Jerusalem was a place that was 20, is a place that's 2,500 feet above sea level. And so if he were to leave Jerusalem and go to the plain of Ono, this location, would he be going up or down? So he would have to come down, right? In a similar way, there are many things that might not be bad, but they're just not as good. They, they bring us down to something lower, something that doesn't have as much value. And I found in my own life, there can be many distractions in this way. The enemy loves to get us to come down, but the Lord would want us to stay where he has us. And so Nehemiah understood the weight of his work. Look there in verse three in your Bibles. He says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. He understood the weight of what he was doing. And I think this is key for us to determine not to be distracted as we enter this new year. There are many things in the next 360 something days that We'll have many invitations, many opportunities. But do we have the understanding of how great the work is that God would have for us? It might seem like such a small thing to obey him in something maybe regarding your home life. It might seem like something so small to tell a neighbor about Jesus. But if we can understand the greatness of the work that God has for us, then we'll determine not to be distracted. And so notice the, the persistence, okay? So look at verse four. It says, but they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. So how many times did they send the message? Four times. Now we'll see in a moment, they have a fifth message, but that fifth one's a little bit different. But four times they send the exact same thing. Hey, come down. Hey, come down. Come down. Come down. Come down. Come down. Okay? Four times. Uh, and then a fifth, they, they even add some stuff, which we'll look in a moment. Um, and they were persistent. The enemy was persistent. But notice that Nehemiah was relentless. So they were persistent. They said, come. And his response, though, was relentless. He said the same thing. No. And guys, we have to get real good at saying no. We got to get good at saying no. We got to get good at saying no to the things that bring us away from the Lord. I mentioned earlier that verse, it's Ephesians 2.10, that describes that God has prepared works for us to walk down. And he says that all we have to do is just to walk in them. And every day, of this next year, there will be things that will try to get you away from those good works, away from those plans. And we have to have first the understanding, okay, what does God want from me? And now then the determination to say, okay, 
I've said yes to Jesus, so because I've said yes to him, that means I have to say no to other things, whether that's sin or whether that's simply something that you know gets you away from God's plan in your life. And so the enemy was persistent, but Nehemiah was relentless. Does that make sense? Is that, are you guys tracking? And so the distraction, but Nehemiah said no. Now, he goes on, look at verse five in your Bibles. And it says, then Samballot sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with now an open letter in his hand. The idea of an open letter is a public letter, meaning it wasn't a private letter like before. The other four times were a private letter to Nehemiah say, hey, come and meet us. Now, the fifth time, it's kind of like he posted it on Facebook, okay? He posted it, I say Facebook because... Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was going to say joke, but um, uh, he posted somewhere that was a public forum uh, in the sense that this, this letter was something that was announced, okay? And so it says, op- he sent them this open letter, and in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come, therefore, and let us consult together. And so in something that would have been a a public announcement, uh, they basically, you know, you can kind of see the underlying threats, right? Hey, we've heard some rumors that uh, you're really there to pronounce yourself as king and uh, that you're going to rebel against the king once you, once you get the doors up and uh, we're going to send this letter to the king. And so, so therefore, come and let us consult together. Basically saying, hey, I, we have some advice to you. Come down and we'll talk. And so look at Nehemiah's response, verse eight. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you are, that, that you say are being done but you invent them in your own heart, for they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. See, first, they were just trying to get Nehemiah distracted. That wasn't working. And so they kick in to second gear and use fear. Really, specifically, the fear of what people think, right? So, they say, hey, we're going to send this letter. It's not going to look good to the king, and everyone knows what you're trying to do. Now, was there any truth to it? No, right? Nehemiah says, like, what, what you are talking about, you invented in your own heart. They, ultimately, they were lying, okay? Fake news uh, is what was, what was happening here. And so what does Nehemiah do? Uh, he says, that's not happening. He's, and, and he responds simply, and then he prays. But I think this is a, a, a point for you and I to pause and think how this looks in our own life. You know, I think something that can be a distraction is the fear of what other people are going to think. How is this going to look on me? Is it true? No, but what is, it, what is the perception of my reputation going to be? And listen, one of the biggest distractions in our lives can be the fear of what others may think. 
And that can get us, think how, think how often that can get us to do something other than what God would want us to do. Oh, how is that going to look? I'm going to be perceived as a goody two-shoes. I'm going to look like a holy roller. I'm, I, I don't know, what, what are they going to look like? It, it doesn't, what, what do they think my motive or my intention is going to be? And we talk ourselves out of living for the Lord. That there might be that, that, that nudge of the Holy Spirit to, to do something. But we have that moment of fear and we're distracted away from the Holy Spirit's voice and we're distracted on what other people might think. We have that fear of what is it going to look like. Well, for Nehemiah, he knew what was taking place. And he says, he says that they're just doing this to make us afraid and then there's that moment. Look at the end of verse 9. This is awesome. Okay? He says, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And so it's interesting because he, he, he's, he's talking there. And in, in, as he's writing this, he references a prayer that he prayed to the Lord in that moment. When he's getting uh, tempted to be distracted. Uh, when he's getting tempted to fear what other people might think. Look at that prayer. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. If you have your own Bible, I want you to circle that or underline that or box that or highlight that. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a point of application for us that as we feel that temptation to be distracted by the fear of what other people think or just distraction in general, but we want to continue. We want God to strengthen us to be able to live for him, to be his representative, to be his, the, the light and the salt, to be a part of what he is doing. And that should be a prayer that we pray. Strengthen our hands. God, strengthen my feet. Strengthen my mind. Strengthen my heart. Strengthen me to be able to live for you and not be distracted. That might be just that prayer. Should be something that we write down, stick on our bathroom mirror, stick on our wall, memorize. Now, therefore, O oh God, strengthen my hands. And so we see that Nehemiah is able to deal with that. But then there's a, there's a third attempt, okay? So the first one was just, hey, they just want to see, hey, will you come down to the, the, the plain of Ono? And remember, I didn't mention this, but you can... Uh, memorize and know what to do with the invitation to the plane of oh no by saying oh no like I'm not going okay uh, and so say no to distractions and you say yes to Jesus um, then uh, we saw the fear now uh, fear of what people think but then look at verse 10 there's something else that they scheme up and this is after what I came to the house of Shemaiah the son of Delilah the son of Metabel who was a secret informer and he said let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they may have cause for an evil report 
that they might reproach me. And so what's going on now? Well, now they actually hire someone uh, who appeared to have Nehemiah's best interest and basically said, hey, they're going to come kill you. Uh, you should go into the temple uh, and hide there. Now, the problem with that, number one, was that this guy was lying. Number two, though, for Nehemiah, he didn't, wasn't necessarily sure at first. Uh, that would have been sin against God. Uh, only the priests were allowed uh, within the temple. Uh, there's a story of Uzziah, one of the kings, going to the temple because he thought, well, I'm king, I can go in, but wasn't a priest. And he was then struck with uh, leprosy. And so Nehemiah knew this. And, um, and so, but they're trying to get him just anything but building the wall. And so now they threaten his life. And that's the thing that's most precious to all of us, right, is our life. You know, the, the, the saying goes that, you know, nothing will a man give except, you know, for the, oh, I messed it up. Life is precious. And we will do anything, right, to, to keep it. And so for Nehemiah, um, he doesn't go into that distraction, but rather he's able to tell the plot and the plan. And so we will close out here in chapter 6, just verse 15. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. And so exciting, the wall was completed. Uh, the, the doors were hung up and something that for a hundred years, the walls of Jerusalem weren't built and how many days did they finish it? Look in your Bibles. Uh, what is it, 11 Fift, 52 days they finished the wall. So for 100 years, it wasn't, was not done. No one was able to. And in 52 days, less than two months. Why? Because they had their hands to the plow, not looking back. Because Nehemiah was focused. He didn't allow the distractions of fear, didn't allow any distractions to get him off course. And God completed the work. And this is something that our God does. God completes what he starts. I want you to write down that God is a God of completion. We see this principle. We saw it in creation, right, where God created for six days and then he completed the work and rested on the seventh day. Yes, remember? Remember on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. The idea is that it was completed, that the work was done. And in, in the Christian life, not just in creation, not just on the cross for salvation, but in the Christian life, God says, I'm gonna complete the work that I've done in you. And he's going to. We're, we're gonna make it to heaven, but will we be used by him? Will we be involved in the, in a sense, the building of our walls? Philippians 1.6 describes for us that he will complete the work that he's started in us, but will be used by him to be able to do that in the lives of others. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. <clears throat> you know, the Christian life is not just about laying aside the sin, 
but also the weights. The Bible makes a distinction between weights and sin, meaning that they're different. The weights are just something that holds you back. And I wonder today, I want you to think in your own life, is there something that maybe is not sin? You're not selling drugs. You're not lying to your parents. You're not, uh, I don't know why those two things were there. But there's not, right? When we think of like sin, we think of these crazy things. Well, I'm not murdering anyone. And there might not be, I'm not, whatever it might be. But are there weights? Are there, are there things that just aren't what God has for you? Might not be full out sin, might be even good things. But are there any weights that we need to get rid of? We are to look unto Jesus, the Bible says. He is to be the goal, he is to be the focus, who is the author and the finisher. Now, as we close things out, I want you guys to turn to Luke chapter 9. So we are in Nehemiah, so you got to go kind of a long way. But I want you to see this last verse I want to share with you as we kind of bring this to a close. Luke chapter 9, and it's the last verse in the chapter, verse 62. Luke 9, 62. In Luke 9, 62... Uh, the context is that Jesus is talking to some people who were wanting to follow him. And so this was one of his responses to one of those people. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, at first, this verse kind of seems, okay, okay hands to the plow, like what, what, what's happening here? Now, in the Jewish mind at this time, they would have understood farming. It would have been something of their culture, uh, something that you and I kind of miss. But notice what he says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, back then they used plows to be able to plow up or break up the ground, uh, the hard ground and get to the soft soil so that they could plant seeds. And so they would use uh, these, these kind of wood-made plows. Sometimes they would be pulled by oxen. Other times they would be pushed by men. Uh, and at the end of that plow would be kind of this, this uh, metal piece that would be kind of shaped like a, like a, a spear. Uh, and it would help kind of dig up and, and break up the ground. Now, metal back then was super expensive, uh, a little bit different than it is now. It was not easy to get. And so if a farmer had a plow, that would be a, a pricey piece of equipment, okay? And so there's kind of a couple reasons why you wouldn't want to be plowing and looking back. First of all, you'd want to do straight lines. Now, I don't know, if, has anyone ever helped your dad mow the lawn? Maybe you, have a, maybe you hire a gardener, maybe you guys do it yourself. Um, but I'm, I just have memories of, of helping my dad do that when I was younger, and if you're mowing the lawn, but looking back, what kind of lines in the grass are you going to have? It's going to look like a maze, right? Uh, but you want straight lines. And so back then, of course, they would plant the crop. They want straight lines. The other thing is that there could be uh, rocks or different things that could ruin the plow if you weren't watching appropriately, if you were being distracted. And so when he says that no one having put his hands to the plow 
and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. It's not the idea is if you get distracted while following Jesus, you're out. No, no, you're still going to make it to heaven. But the idea of fit is someone of, of, of use for the kingdom. This is not a salvation issue. Uh, he's talking about discipleship, but following Jesus, fit for the kingdom. The idea is that in our lives, we're not to be all in for Jesus and also be all in for the world. There has to be a distinction where we are fully committed, where, there, where we ask the Lord to remove those distractions in our life. And we, and we have to, like Nehemiah, learn to say no and say yes to Jesus. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for us is that that's something that we would, we would be a part of, that we would be able to be focused on the, on the prize, on the goal, which is ultimately Jesus himself. We'd be looking unto Jesus, right? Not looking back, not looking to the left or the right, but that every day that he would be our focus. And if he's our focus, then he'll work out the straight lines. We just walk and the good works he pre he's prepared for us, right? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and God, we do thank you for your word this morning. Uh, Lord, we want to be men and women and boys and girls who are fit for your kingdom, to be used by you, fit for the master's use. And Lord, we just confess our own sin of, of being distracted, of focusing on things that aren't important, that putting our priorities in a way that they're not to be. And so, Lord, we want uh, to prioritize you and obeying you and living for you, that you would be, Lord, the reason we do everything. And so, Lord, we look to you for these things. We pray, uh, as Nehemiah did, that you would strengthen our hands, that our hands would be put to the plow, that every day there'd be no day off for us, but that we would uh, just pursue you, that our souls would follow close behind you, and it would be your right hand that would uphold us. And so we look to you for these things, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.